0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Good evening, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host Ted Orico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. Uh, Once again, I'm very, very excited to be on air and always looking forward to a great season here on Golf Talk Live. And as promised, and as my intro said, uh, we got it right this week. uh, Tonight, of course, uh, will be the uh, relaunch, if you will, for this season of Coach's Corner. And I've got a great uh, group of guys on the panel to start the season off. Uh, Paul Castor, Tim Kramer, and Bill Abrams to start things off the season. So I'm really, really excited about that. I'm going to tell you a little bit about each of them here in just a moment. But I want to remind everybody that Golf Talk Live this season is being brought to you by a new network that I developed called the iGolf Sports Network. And the iGolf Sports Network, or iGolfSports.com for short, is a live stream, broadcast, and media production company that is going to provide top-quality programming designed specifically to attract the golfing enthusiast. So I want you to stay tuned. iGolf's official launch will be coming Pretty soon, uh, in a little bit, and I will uh, keep you up to date as we go along. But uh, iGolf is going to be sponsoring uh, the, the programming here uh, on this show. And I've got a great announcement that will be coming out um, next week. Uh, I gave the guys a little bit of a sneak peek tonight off air, but I'm not ready quite yet to, uh, to make an official announcement. But I think you would be pretty excited about that one as well. So I hope you'll make sure you tune in next week. All right, uh, as I said, and a little bit later on in the show, my apologies, <clears throat> we'll be joined by my special guest, Harry Purdom. Uh, She is the president and founder of Turf Life, uh, and she's also the publisher for uh, Golf Central Magazine. Uh, So very, very excited to have her on the show as well. Um, So let me just tell you a little bit about the guys, and then we'll get into tonight's discussion. First up, of course, in no particular order, is Paul Castor. Uh, Paul is one of the country's leading golf coaches, a Golf Channel Academy lead coach recognized by Golf Digest as one of the best teachers in New Jersey uh, for 2017-2018. He's been honored by U.S. Kids Golf as one of – Uh, 2017's top 50 kid teachers. Uh, He's also a level two certified Titleist Performance Institute, uh, also Aimpoint and K-Motion. 15 of his junior clients have earned spots in the U.S. Kids World Golf Championships and Teen World Championships held annually at the Pinehurst Resort. Uh, He serves on the Foresight uh, Sports Advisory Board and in the New Jersey PJ Junior Golf Committee. Uh, Also joining me is uh, Tim Kramer. Uh, He's a welcome back uh, guest as well. He's a visionary peak performance mind coach with locations in Palm City, Florida and Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, He is the president and founder of Peak uh, Performance Mind uh, Coaching, a program utilizing innovative and pioneering mind coaching techniques. And Tim is also a golf professional and coach with Club Med Academies in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Rounding up the panel, of course, is uh, another favorite is Bill Abrams. Uh, He's a PGA professional and is the 2017 and 2018 uh, Central Illinois PGA Teacher of the Year, uh, 2015 Illinois PGA Professional of the Year, and Owner and Director of Instruction for Golf Solutions Academy at Bill Woods Crate, Illinois. And he's currently down at the Grand Palms Resort in Pembroke Pines, Florida. And this, uh, he's also been uh, recognized as the 2019 Illinois PGA Teacher of the Year. So guys, uh, Paul, Tim, and Bill, welcome back to uh, another season here on Coach's Corner. Thanks so much very much. Great to be here. Thanks
2: so much, Ted. Looking forward to another great season.
1: I appreciate it guys. And and thank you very much. All right. We're going to talk about something I thought would be a great conversation to start the year off. And and we're going to talk about really four levels of golfer. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about the beginning golfer, the intermediate golfer advanced and the pro golfer. And I'm going to just read out a couple of things here. Uh, And we'll talk about each of them and then I'm going to break down to specific questions for each of you. Um, and and beginning with obviously the beginners, if you will, uh, the game of golf obviously looks very simple, uh, to somebody may be watching on TV, but really it isn't. As we all know, uh, golf is composed of uh, mental, physical, uh, and strategy as well as, uh, patience, if you will, all working together to sort of hit that tiny little white ball. So even if many individuals are playing golf, um, Some beginning uh, golfers quit too soon because of frustration. Uh, So how we can help is by offering to help them overcome obstacles. Uh, And that's really what the golf instructor slash coach, if you will, does, is helping them to overcome some of these obstacles that they might be faced with by giving them uh, sound fundamentals and so forth. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about each of them. I know you guys know this, but for the purpose of the audience, our beginning golfers, okay, they traditionally, their average score is usually 100 and above, our intermediate golfers are usually somewhere between that 85 and 100, if you will. That doesn't mean that they may go, not go either way, uh, but that is generally the rule of thumb is, is the category that they fall into. Our advanced players typically uh, are, uh, in many cases, breaking par uh, as low as 70, right up to that 85 mark, and of course the pros on a regular basis are usually below 70 or below par. Um, so that kind of gives you the, the category, if you will, of what our golfers fit into. And, and Paul, I'm going to start with you, if you don't mind, Um, Because one area um, that a lot of particular beginning golfers really fail at is uh, warming up before they play. In fact, according to many of the statistics out there, beginning golfers never, uh, if at all, ever warm up uh, Our intermediate. Sometimes, maybe. Obviously, our advanced players usually do. And, of course, pros always do. So talk a little bit about that and, and how if somebody wants to advance, say they're currently a beginning golfer and they want to get to that next level, whether it be intermediate or, you uh, how important it is to make sure they warm up and what do you feel is a reasonable amount of time to be warming up?
3: Oh, I, you know, I can't really overstate the importance of, of getting your body ready to play. Um, you know, I, I incorporate fitness uh, as part of my golf instruction Um, I'm Titleist Performance Level 2, you know, certified, like you mentioned, Ted, but when we, when we're swinging a golf club, this is a, we're talking about a very dynamic movement. You're, you're asking your body to go from very, from still to very, very fast and then break. And, um, so, you know, we're swinging a, a heavy weight around us, uh, going very fast. And if you're not, um, If you're not ready to do that physically, if your muscles aren't warm, if you haven't stretched appropriately, um, you can hurt yourself, uh, but you also won't perform the way, uh, you know, you'd like. So just like you mentioned, there are, you know, it's kind of accepted and it's a norm for really good players to, uh, to get ready for a round of golf and treat it like an athletic event. Um, But, you know, for, for players who are, Uh, novices and beginning stage, you know, it's not something that you see a lot of. You see a lot of people, I think, getting out of their car and going to the tee. So I think giving yourself at least 20 minutes uh, before a round of golf, you're way better off actually warming your body up and getting loose in the appropriate ways than than hitting a whole bunch of golf balls. Um, Giving yourself about 20 minutes, in the perfect world, if you're a club player and had access to a, a, you know, a bike uh, or walking, you know, on a treadmill or an elliptical, doing that for five or 10 minutes just to get your blood pumping um, and, and prepare yourself to do something athletic and, and be able to stretch a little bit right before you play uh, would be, would be an appropriate amount of time. I think the guys on tour when they use the, the fitness trailers are doing it for considerably longer than that, um, you know, in a lot of cases, they're, you know, they're putting in an hour um, depending on their age, I think uh, in some cases, but putting in an hour of, of therapy or, or just, you know, stretching and, and, uh, and a little bit of cardio before they go out and play. Um, so, yeah, I would, say, I would say a good 20 minutes and make it a little bit of cardio, some,
1: some appropriate
3: <clears throat> golf stretches. Uh, and that would be a good way to get started.
1: Well said. Thank you. Um, Bill, I want to go to you, and, and I want to sort of play on this theme a little bit about warming up and, and, and practicing, if you will, um, particularly before round. There's something really from – and I want to take this from the professional standpoint now instead of more so the beginner uh, stage. There's a reason, it, it, in addition to what, what Paul has just pointed out. Um, you know, warming up and, and getting the muscles ready there's another reason why the pros always make a point of, of warming up before a round, there's something that they're looking for that particular day um, talk a little bit about that what are the pros doing, why are they really emphasizing on warming up uh, and not just in the trailers and, and that but out in the practice tee as well, there's something that they're looking for, uh, information gathering if you will, before they go out and play the round uh,
2: Again, thanks Ted a few of the things that we look at uh, with the finer players, the, the collegiate, the better players, and the tour players, when they're warming up, it's not necessarily out there working on something or trying to find something. It's, it's building confidence is the biggest thing that I find with players, and we want to get their warm-up routine figured out that way. A lot of times, you know, and you're, you're speaking a little bit more about hitting balls, uh, working on short shots, bunker shots, putts. Um, you know, everybody's a little bit different and we build a little bit of a routine based on what that individual player's potential anxiety is, or what that potential player will feel most confident with as they go through it. Maybe something as simple as a ladder drill. It may be reducing the size of the hole with a couple T's in front of it while they're putting, um, things of that nature, hitting a couple bunker shots, working on hitting something right of a target, left of a target. Um, little little bit of things that we're building the routine in as well. So um, players can really get a feel both physically and mentally of what they're doing. And, you know, the biggest thing is, is achieving solid contact. You know, nobody wants to go to the first tee, um, you know, hitting it thin or getting a little too close to the hosel, but, you know, working out ways to get that solid contact. One of the other things that we also um, look at is I have set up, some different warm-ups for my uh, for the elite level players that I work with, um, depending on the amount of time that they have. We have a you know I've got something as low as a 15 minute warm-up um, on the range and, and with the putting green and short game area, and then 30, 45, and an hour, depending on that player's needs and also sometimes the amount of time that they have available to them to uh, prepare before a round.
1: Right. Well said. Um, you know, and you're exactly right. You know, th- there is such a, 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 a contrast from our um, Tim, from our beginning golfers to our professional golfers. And I think one of the things that we see um, not just in their, their actual ability to hit, but in their thought process. So I want you to touch on this particular uh, area for just a second. And that is um, one of the hurdles I think for, for many of our beginning golfers, and I, I want you to touch a little bit, you know uh throughout the the um, uh, the spectrum if you will from beginner right up to the pros but uh just to, to touch on a little bit but it is the ability or rather inability to create some realistic goals for yourself this is one thing a problem that a lot of amateurs and especially beginner golfers have is they don't know how to set goals properly throughout the course and it's not just physical goals and distances and things like that but how to mentally prepare themselves Um, for a round of golf. So touch a little bit about that if you wouldn't mind, about really um, creating those realistic goals, but how you work with them in your capacity to help them be um, the best mentally they can be when they hit that golf course.
4: Yeah, and I love the question in in terms of of setting goals. And one of the things that you said, uh, Ted, that I I, I think is very important is that they have to be realistic goals. Um, One of the things that I find that probably creates more... Uh, stress in a golfer is setting goals that they don't really believe. Uh, a lot of times they can be a goal that is, is too big of a stretch for them. So I'm a huge fan of setting uh, baby steps for goals that become quite achievable uh, and then only to launch the next goal in the next uh, place that they want to move to. Um, and I think that that's particularly important for younger players or maybe newer players to the sport because what I see happening with them a lot of times uh, are goals sometimes set by them, but in many cases, more often when they're really young, uh, perhaps uh, set by set by others, uh, perhaps even parents, and they become goals that uh, become so frustrating, and then the frustration gets entered into the way that we learn the sport from the start. So it's almost like we're we're almost it becomes a very difficult. Uh, way of learning from the start and that it's almost it's never good enough because um, the, it, it we're just going to things that we're not good at and that can be in terms of of course physical development, it can be in terms of mental development and, and by the way um, and I know we've been talking about this from time to time but uh, I do see mental as different from emotional um, mental to me is the strategy portion of it Uh, the kind of shot I want to hit, the lie of the ball, the wind, things like that. And then the emotional component. And that's where I really believe that um, uh, we've not done a a good enough job of really developing the sport is in terms of emotional, uh, what we might call emotional competence or something like that. And, again, getting back to every level, uh, I do see the emotions as something that I don't think that uh, we stabilize enough before we get to the course. Really appreciate what the guys had to say about getting warmed up physically, and I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I think an equal component with that has to be the emotional warm-up to make sure that, in a way, we don't step out of the car, we don't step out onto the practice range, we don't even pick up a club until we're in that good emotional space.
1: Yeah, and that's a great point, Tim, because you know I, I've joked about many times on the show, and and um, Cindy and I've. Have- you know, uh, my co-host on uh, the women of golf, you know, we've laughed about this, but you know, a lot of times it's like going to the airport, you know, everybody's pulling their baggage and, you know, I see people out in the golf course, they come out there and you can tell they're just pulling their baggage. They're thinking about what happened at the office that day, or they're thinking about maybe an issue that's arisen at home. And ultimately what ends up, what happening is they're not focused on the task at hand. They're thinking about outside uh, issues and interferences in their life that have now crept into their golf game. So it's very difficult for them to focus on any sort of consistency because they're thinking about other things other than what they should be thinking about the time. And I, I agree with you. I think if you're not ready to to, to make that transition and you're still carrying too much uh, baggage, as I suggest, then maybe you know it, it's probably not the best thing to do to be out in the golf course today because you're just not really going to enjoy it. Um, Paul, I want to come back to you. and And, and this is really it goes to a theory that I have is is to be able to do your homework. Um, and what I mean by that is as instructors, you know, we work with our students in a variety of different capacities, and we, in a sense, assign them homework. Um, we may not use that terminology because not everybody uh, loves that uh, analogy of homework, but that's essentially what we do. We give them uh, skills or, or specific tips and drills that we want them to work on. And one thing particularly that I think a lot of, golfers um, whether they're beginner or even professional really need to understand and that is how far they hit each of their clubs uh, I believe that's paramount uh, to becoming a better golfer because as, as you know Paul many amateur golfers they have no idea how far they're hitting each of their clubs they can guess and they can maybe um, you know uh, give the old college try if you will but they really don't understand and so as an instructor I know you want to make sure that they understand let's set a benchmark with each of our clubs. How far are we consistently hitting those clubs so that we can make informed decisions around the golf course? So talk a little bit about that, how you try to emphasize that both with uh, your students when they're with you and what you try to do uh, again with some sort of a homework assignment to get them to focus on that particular area of your, of their game.
3: Uh, So I think one of the, one of the things that we see the most of with recreational golfers is, wanting to hit the ball as far as they can with every club in their bag. Um, You know, and there's almost an ego element to that. Like, you know, wanting to hit your sand, be able to hit your sand wedge 115 yards. Uh, But, you know, maybe, maybe 105 yards is the uh, appropriate distance or it's just your comfortable yardage to play good golf. You just, you really need to know how far each of your clubs go. It doesn't really matter in a sense, you know how far they how far you're hitting each one of them you just need to know that each one goes a specific distance and that the priority is hitting the ball in the center of the club face because that is what's going to produce a consistent ball flight and a consistent distance so uh when i'm coaching i, I use the foresight gc quad um you know launch monitor um and the data that we have uh you know, access to because of that is so valuable because you can see not just carry distances uh, and the amount of roll that you're getting, but you can also see dispersion. So we can start to talk about game planning and strategy and, you know, what realistically is your dispersion with a sandwich, with an eight iron, with a six iron, with a three wood, with a driver. So what kind of holes can we hit these clubs on? Um, is it wise always to hit a driver, uh, you know, off of the tee and, and, Knowing exactly how far each one of your clubs goes, and not being overly aggressive or unrealistic in terms of what you actually think your yardages are, just actually playing playing the, the distance that you know each one goes um, allows you to plan your way around the golf course, allows you to pick appropriate targets. Uh, and it's it, like you said, it's really one of the you know cornerstones to making progress and scoring better. Um, because if you don't know how far you're flying each one of your clubs, you can't make correct decisions strategically around the golf course. Um, so I, I absolutely agree with you. And, uh, you know, I think if more, if more recreational golfers stood over a golf ball thinking about hitting a solid shot um, and concerned mainly with how far, the, you know, their clubs go when they're practicing and got that information – there's so many affordable launch monitors now that are available. Um, you know, it's it's really one of the most valuable things that you can learn how to do, and and uh, information that you can kind of keep updated for yourself uh, when you're when you're working on your game.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And you know, uh, and you're really hit it right on the head. Is you know, with the technology out there right now, um, there's a lot of this information that you know, as a as a recreational golfer. You know, you, you, can, you can get out there and actually gather that information. Obviously, it, it, the optimum is to get out there and work with a professional and, and let them, uh, you know, help you organize, uh, you know, some of that. But um, there's really no excuse this day and age between the apps and, and programming that's available out there now. You can even do a lot of it on your own if you had to. Um, but, you know, Bill, this brings us to another area, and I know we've talked about this many, many times on the show, but I think it's one of the most important um, and that is really the pre shot routine um, you know one of the interesting things about professionals is you can almost tell by their routine when we're watching a tournament if everything is on if everything's firing on all cylinders um, If you look back in history and you look at many of the players that have stumbled along the way and through a tournament, you will actually see a slight change and sometimes sometimes it's not very noticeable, other times it is where they're Pre-shot routine falls out of sync, and it usually means that they're not focused anymore uh, the way that they, or they're over hyper focusing on certain things because they've had uh, a lapse in in uh, their play. And this is something that, again, we see uh, a pre-shot routine with our professional and more advanced players on a regular uh, basis, uh, but not so much on the beginners. So I want you to talk about really from. A coach's standpoint or a teaching professional standpoint, why it's important to have a pre-shot routine, and from a professional, a golf professional standpoint, who's out there playing on tour, um, explain the importance to them of having that routine, how it benefits them as a player.
2: Yeah, it is. It is extremely important. As I um, talk with my players when we put this together, you know, we always talk about a, a quiet mind, and there really isn't anything. Such as a quiet mind. I, I tell my players there's an organized mind. When we get ready for a shot, we have to define what we want to do. And if we can't clarify to ourselves and define it, it's going to be very, very difficult to do. And I use a um, a lot of times a real world analogy. If somebody's a business owner, I say, do you go into the year without a budget or without a, a game plan of what you're going to do? Well, no. Well, don't try to hit a shot over water 148 yards to a tight flag without a game plan, and that's so much of it is defining what we need to do, and then that builds some calm in. You know, as the level of player goes there, we have to be a little bit more definitive as to what's happening. You know, getting into a, an average player to a beginning player, it may be just that one area of focus uh, prior to the shot that we get, we get a reasonable aim, and then they have one focus of finish the shot or have all the pressure on the left foot. Or you know we're gonna we're gonna keep the grip pressure light on this shot. Just one thing that they go through, and we find as they go through that routine that way, you know, prepping and clarifying to themselves what needs to happen. Now it 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 makes it very clear, and the the ability to hit much better shots it, it grows with it. It builds a lot more confidence.
1: Yeah, well said. Um, you know, we can't emphasize enough the, how important the pre-shot routine is. And, you know, as I said, a lot of times when you're watching um, some of the better players on TV, it's very interesting to see um, in some cases, and again, not all cases, but how that routine can alter depending on, on how they're playing. Even players like Tiger, um, I've, I've noticed, and again, it, it might be very subtle sometimes, but I will see his pace Will sometimes quicken when he's agitated mm-hmm. or not in frame of mind. And that, more often than not, is, is usually the case. You very seldom, I mean, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but very seldom when a player is not in a good frame of mind, um, will you see them slow that routine down. If anything, it becomes a hurried routine. Uh, they, they, you know, instead of maybe normally being 20 seconds or 25 seconds, whatever the case may be, uh, it's now 15 seconds and they're rushing into it. They're rushing through. They're missing steps. So it, it's critical to develop a good pre-shot routine and one that it, you're going to be comfortable with that's going to get, uh, give you all the information as you gather it and get ready and prepared for the shot uh, and then uh, to execute. So, um, well,
2: Yeah, Ted, if I can add in, uh, as our players get better with the elite players, we actually time the routine. So they know where their constraints are, where they need to be to be able to hit reasonable shots.
1: Right. Exactly. And, and that's something too, that, you know, again, working with uh, a good uh, professional is, is paramount for especially our beginning golfers. Um, it's not about, you know, club selection and how far you're hitting it. It's also developing routines that are going to stand the test of time. And sometimes that extra set of eyes is really what a good amateur needs and this is why, you know, we emphasize that you need to really uh, get out there and, and get connected with somebody to, to uh, set you up, and not just uh, lessons in teaching you the game, but having, uh, putting a, a good game plan together. And, Tim, that is what I'm going to talk to you a little bit about, and that is, or have you explained to the, to the listeners, and, and that is really to practice and play with purpose. Um, you know, again, we can only hit so many golf balls. We can only warm up so much on the physical side Um, But we have to set some mental goals as well. We have to prepare for the round, Uh, we've got to set some mental goals and in the event as I just pointed out where you might be faced with some adversity which we're all going to be faced with out in the golf course, you have to know how to be able to handle that in those moments. So talk a little bit about that, if we're going to play and practice uh, with some sort of purpose, how do we set goals for that uh, particular round and when we're faced with difficulties or challenges out in the golf course, how do we react is also just as critical.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I love the conversation on the pre-shot routine. And I just want to talk about that a little bit. It's been my experience, um, guys that, um, uh, the pre-shot routine, I hear so many instruct, uh, try and make it the same. And on the one hand, I understand that. But on the second hand, I guess what I'm going to suggest is that I think the pre-shot routine needs to be a little bit different. Um, I know that the better players that I work with and, and everyone I've ever worked with and even some of the guys on the tour, it's kind of funny because they, they in general look so confident out there. I can guarantee you every one of them has a shot that they would just as soon not have have to hit under the gun. And so really the the routine, the pre shot routine, I believe is 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 somewhat different based upon the type of shot that they're hitting. If they're a very confident driver of the golf ball, for example, pre-shot routine for a drive is going to be very different. Now, maybe not from a mental strategy standpoint, maybe not from their physical swing key, but the emotion that they have to access in the pre-shot routine, I believe, is going to be very different, has to be very different, in order to access that state of peak performance. Um, so that when they're uh, dealing with a confident part of their game, uh, it's a very different routine, Uh, maybe not time-wise, but it's a very different state of mind that they have to bring into the shot uh, in order to have a successful outcome. Uh, In terms of purpose, absolutely there has to be purpose. But again, I think that the purpose, it's, it's funny because what I see more of is the type of shot that they are about to hit Um, is what changes their mindset, I would say, more frequently than anything else. So, again, the ability of them to adapt the routine to put themselves into a successful physical and emotional and mental state of mind is is the key. And that's where I guess I get a little bit uh, uh, maybe different than most coaches in terms of of not saying uh, that the routine is always the same. Um, in terms of purpose, so absolutely, that there has to be a purpose for the shot. But, again, we got to be a little bit careful there. We have players that tend to be pretty volatile out there. And so the work as a mind coach is that we want them to be able to dial their energy, maybe to bring it down a little bit uh we've got other players that are pretty uh, can go a little bit lethargic out there. They get a little bit too soft, so with their routines, their purpose has to be to bump up the energy a little bit so uh, again, I think that the routine is 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 critical for every golfer even. I believe that we need to get better at teaching younger, less experienced golfers the value of the routine and to include those three elements, the mental, the physical, and the emotional in it, uh, and to make sure that it does have a purpose and and, uh, uh, to be mindful enough, aware enough that what they're bringing to the equation uh, is something that gives them the best chance to succeed.
1: Very interesting approach. I, I like that, Tim. Thank you for that. Um, paul i 'm going to skip back up to you and and um, you know we talked uh, about a little bit ago about uh, understanding how far to hit each club, but something that 's equally as important is understanding the yardage uh, uh, to your target for each shot and This is something that seems to for some reason elude uh, our beginner and even some of our intermediate uh, players per se <laughs> uh, they they 're not for some reason aware uh, you know, that uh, you can obtain a yardage book, most of the golf courses out there, but uh, in, in falling short of that, uh, there's some interesting markers uh, on every hole uh, that can help give you uh, a good gauge of how far you are. And, and um, this is another area that seems to elude many of our beginning golfers is um, the importance of checking and understanding the yardage uh, to any given target. So talk a little bit about that, um, how, you, how you handle that with some of your students.
3: Well, it's uh, it's interesting now because we have all of this different technology that'll give you that information, um, and I think uh, it's actually become. When I do playing lessons with my clients, one of the things that I teach kids now is how to walk off the yardage because, God forbid, your mm-hmm. your laser loses its battery, you know, or something happens where you can't uh, you don't you're not able to rely on on your uh, your yardage.
1: Uh, the batteries
3: generally yeah uh, you need to be able to actually get that information for yourself and we don't always have a spare battery or maybe our, our watch dies or however you know your GP watch, GPS watch um, but it, you know getting a yardage on the golf course is more than just a number and a number to a flag or a number to the center of the green it's uh, in, a, in a way you know that's something that is an art. Uh, that good players develop through uh, lots of practice and some thought um, because you're synthesizing a lot of different information about each shot and the way it's going to come off based on the lie, um, based on the clothing that you're wearing, the temperature out, uh, you know, the wind and and what the green surface is is like even, you know, you have to take all these things into consideration. And I think – you know so often with beginning players they're so concerned with whether or not they're actually going to hit a good shot that um they're not thinking about what the golf course is giving them wh- what it's asking them to do um and in a lot of cases you're you're better off being focused on that than internally on what you know what you need to do to hit a solid shot when you're out on the golf course um so I, I do see that a lot of players are so consumed by mechanics that they're not able to kind of get out and start thinking about, well, how are these factors going to gonna affect how I play this shot? But, yeah, I think um, being able to get that basic information, how far is it to the middle of the green, where is the pin, where is the flagstick, excuse me, and then uh, how do all of these factors play into how far I'm going to need to carry this ball and what club is is it going to be, that gets the ball to that, to that landing spot. Um, That's a step-by-step process that, that very, you know, very good golfers are very good at um, obviously, but uh, you know, as skill as we become, as we look at less skilled players, it's not something that they're thinking about a great deal.
1: Yeah. And and that's, that's a problem obviously for a lot of our our club golfers particularly and our our low or high handicap amateurs, because, you know, one of the issues that, that I see more often than not is because they don't know how far they are uh, at any given time, that is obviously going to um, create a challenge when it comes time to making um, the proper club selection. Um, because if you don't know how far you, you're needing to hit it, it's not a matter of how far you can hit it. I mean, obviously that factor, as we talked about earlier, is important. But um, But if you're not sure of exactly how far you need to hit it in any particular time, then you're not going to select the proper equipment. And that brings me really to this side, Bill, and that is equipment um, being not only properly fitted for your game, and I want you to touch a little bit about that, but also what equipment is going to be in the bag. I mean, it's going to vary from from player to player, obviously. Um, but, you know, quite often than not, you know, when, when our, our high-handicap golfers go out and they buy, uh, you know, their first set of golf clubs, you know they're not thinking about well, is this fit for my game um you know they're just going well, does it look good and and uh you know is it in my price point, which obviously are important factors, but um there's other factors that that need to be considered as well, and this is something that the better players again have at advantage, uh, obviously having access uh, a little better than than most of us but um uh nonetheless they they need to have um you know, their equipment fitted properly, uh, even at the, uh, the beginner level. So talk a little bit about that and really how should a player decide what goes in the golf bag? Uh,
2: great question, uh, Ted. it really, I've, I've heard this years and years and years. I'm not good enough to get fit or have fitted equipment. Um, I always use an analogy again with players. Um, I'm almost six foot six and I say to them, I said, okay, let's let's do a, a for instance here. You take my golf clubs, you're five foot eight, and take five lessons with those. Okay, it would be no different than you or I switching tuxedos and going to Fred Astaire and taking five lessons. Um, you're going to have to relearn everything, and I, I think it's it's something that, you know, sometimes as coaches we haven't focused on enough, and I, I feel it's it's a huge part of this, and know Paul as well. We feel it's a huge part. Of, and one of the integral uh, pillars of people getting better is having properly fit equipment, or at least in the ballpark. And, you know, we have so many different Absolutely. options with companies where we can buy them one off. We can get a, a seven, a nine, a sand wedge, a hybrid, and a putter to start people <laughs> so they don't have to relearn. The weight is, a, is such a key. The lie angle I find with newer players is not as big a key as the weight and the length of the club, and making sure that the grip is reasonably sized. Um, once we start with this, now the player has a has the ability to make a, a you know a much more consistent move because they're not making all kinds of compensations making up for the club.
1: Right, exactly, um, and, and you know it's it, obviously whatever equipment you're you're going to use. There's a, there's a personal element into it. I mean, obviously, um, it, it not only has to physically fit the individual player, um, but it's got to be something that they feel comfortable playing with. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Absolutely. With, with, the, you know, with the onslaught of, of game improvement equipment out there, and, you know, I was down at the PGA show this uh, January and saw some incredible uh, new uh, drivers out there and so on and so forth, and, you know, many of them look great. Um, but they may not necessarily be for everybody. Um, some of our better players obviously um, have have different uh, uh, styles and, and different um, approaches to the game and, and uh, need to be fitted accordingly. But um, some of our amateurs, sometimes they see something on TV and they say, well, that's what I want to play or I think that's what I should be playing, and it may not necessarily be the case. So it's, it's critical, I think, for especially our beginning golfers and even our intermediate golfers to make sure um, you know the advanced and the professionals I, I think they've already got this down but uh, you know you really need to consult with somebody when you're going out there and just say hey I, I've got a budget I'm working with what can we create help me put something together that's going to help me play my best golf never mind your your buddies or your uh, you know pros that you uh, enjoy watching on TV you have to be fitted for your game and I think that's what's what's really critical out there um, yeah, gonna pose- yeah go ahead sorry
3: this is Paul. The, the thing I think that a lot of players don't realize is just how important it is to have clubs that get you in the right posture. Um, because mm-hmm. how you set up to a golf ball really determines how you move. And that's based on your dimensions, um, you know, how tall you are, your, your wrist to floor length, and so forth. So if, you, if you're learning from the very beginning with clubs that really don't even allow you to get in appropriate, you appropriate know, posture for golf, you're going to start developing motor patterns and and habits that are going to take some undoing at some point. So it's, it's super duper important. And I agree absolutely
1: with everything Bill just said. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I might, I might add,
4: the... so... Yeah, go ahead, Bill. I might add to that too, that it adds to the frustration. If they're not properly fit, yeah. um, they're not going to make good moves. They're going to get more frustrated. Their enjoyment of the game goes down. And the whole thing starts to spiral. So I'm a huge fan, even as a mind coach, that uh, let's take that variable out of the equation. And, and that's Absolutely. one less thing to, uh, to me, that's the simplest, really, the, one of the simplest things to do is to have good equipment. And, and of course, not everybody's going to be able to swing the same, but at least if you're swinging something that works for you, um that 's a physical component that that just becomes a, a given and which it 's like done and uh sure as, as if they're kids or whatever they're growing or you get a little older and your body style changes, of course it needs to change, but at least it 's done and, and and we don't we we don't we don 't have to worry about that anymore
1: no i couldn't agree wholeheartedly more than that um all right tim the, the last question is going to be for you um and it's really uh, about time. Um, you know, many of our golfers, um, and, and we can, you know, the stats don't lie, handicaps have uh, really struggled to come down in the last uh, 20, even 30 years for many, many of our golfers out there. And um, as I suggested at the top of the hour, you know, it's not an easy game. Uh, but it can be fun if you stay focused and, and are willing to commit. So, you know, when it comes to time, this is something that I know that, you know, you're speaking to your students with. Um, you know, as, as a mental coach that, um, you know, giving it a, a reasonable period of time and, and sticking with it, I guess, is is a better way to put it, um, you know, because some of the challenges they're going to be faced with, not just on the golf course, but even on the practice tee and in the lesson tee um, is it, going to be difficult sometimes and challenging. Um, but that's what makes the game fun is if it was everything was too easy, um, we'd all be out there battling it on the PGA tour or the LPGA tour, depending on, on uh, gender, but, um <laughs> You know, um, and some of us might not even be able to to do that. So, but you know, it's it just it's it just one of these things that I think time, uh, giving it the the right amount of time and focus, if you yeah. will. So, talk a little bit about. Yeah.
4: I think I think it's a great question, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something out again. You you know you've been with me long enough at this point to know that I probably <laughs> challenge some of the ideas that people think about. I think we really have to be careful that we call it. You know, a difficult sport. I think that it can certainly become that way. But I would say that I believe that the difficulty is in the mindset. We get a little bit back to what we talked about before, which is goal setting. And I think that too many times we're, we're, we're really caught up in caring a lot about what other people think. Um, I think we get caught up in comparing ourselves with other others. If, if we made it to baby goals and baby steps, we had good coaching that could almost um, uh, help us to focus more on what I'd like to call inspired action uh, rather than perspired action, I think that we would take a lot of the disappointment out of the game. If we could find a way to keep this sport fun in more moments, I think it would help not only the students. I think most coaches would agree. Um, As coaches, we all know, that one of the worst students to deal with is the grumpy student where it's never good enough and all they're doing is complaining. And yeah, it's a really hard sport for them. So the more we can make it fun. Now, does that mean it's not going to be challenging? Of course not. And in a way we need to understand too. And I think help our students to understand that there's no growth without mistakes. Um, You have to make mistakes before you have the desire to learn something new and to improve but the key there is not to condemn ourselves for the mistakes or make them seem like uh, uh, they're a bad thing, but rather to learn to embrace the mistakes as, as, as the, you know, almost the energy that makes us want to improve. So, but, but I love the question because I see this a lot with my professionals and particularly those on the mini tours is, is how much time do I give it? And that's where I kind of got to go back to them and say, you know, I know you've got the answer inside, but, but my thing is, do you feel like you're making growth? Do you feel like you're stagnating? And, you know, it's, it's like, um, uh, it's going to be a different time frame for everybody. I do know the students that I have seen though, those that I've coached over the years that make the greatest amount of progress almost have to take time out of the equation because if they don't, uh, they're getting too old. They're running out of time. They're running out of this. It's it's It becomes a very um, – uh, time becomes a burdensome concept. So as long as we can keep it fun, as long as they can continue to feel like they're improving and that there's some hope, um, I think that's a great place to have them be at. I think that um, uh, anybody would probably wear out after about 10 years – just because they're not achieving what they want to achieve. And and at that point they might want to give it up. So maybe that's not the kind of answer you were looking for, but I think time is one of those uh, relative concepts that they have to decide. We can help them as coaches to determine their goals. But I think if they keep achieving their goals in baby steps, that's the best shot we got at dealing with the time issue.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great great point that you raised, Tim, because – um, you know, time is going to mean something different to everybody. Obviously, some of our younger players who obviously have a little more time um, might approach the game a little bit differently, and those that have maybe been around for uh, several decades, and, and maybe just, they're not looking to necessarily reinvent the wheel, they're just looking out there to, sometimes it's just to maintain what they've maybe had it at one point, sure. or, or even to, to regroup and say, okay, you know what, I know I'm not going to be able to hit it as far as I once did, but if I can just keep the consistency going and, and get out there and sink a few putts along the way. So, uh, again, this is where the individuality comes in and where it's equally important for the coach um, and, and instructors to, to really define uh, and going back to that, that age-old question, if you will, when you first sort of meet golfers, and that is, you know, the why. Um, you know, why are you there in the first place? Why do you want to play golf? What's sure. the reason you're playing golf? Is it, is it to be competitive? Is it to be you know, just out to have a good time. So when people understand what their why is, then it's easier as a coach, I think, to help them uh, sort of navigate uh, the, the waters, if you will. Uh, all right, I'm just going to one I'm, final question. Sorry, go ahead.
4: Oh, no, no, I was just going to add one thing very quickly on that concept again, but I do know that the energy of impatience, which is related to the concept of time, It just never helps a player. When they're out there impatiently trying to get things, they create way too much tension and way too much pressure within themselves. So so really, you know, again, I think I think as coaches, the more we can help them to get the concept of time out of the equation, um, that the better off and just to have fun and some baby steps and baby goals and to keep moving forward. And like you said, I do think I think the why of it is something that most players forget. Why why we first wanted to play, and that was to have fun and and, uh, to stay tapped into that. That's where they make the most progress.
1: Right, exactly. Well said. Um, All right, I'm going to give each of you just this last uh, question just very briefly, if you wouldn't mind. Um, As you get ready... to really sort of cap off, uh, and get started in a new golf season. Obviously I know, uh, in some cases, uh, you know, Bill and myself who are in warmer climates and Tim as well, um, have the advantage of, of really being involved with golfers all year round. But, um, essentially we're, we're getting ready to start a brand new golf season, uh, for, for the general public, if you will. Um, so Paul, if you want to start, what are you, uh, what are you most looking for to get ready? Uh, what are you doing to get ready for, for a brand new season?
3: Uh, I think uh, at this point with a lot of my clients, we've worked very hard on full swing all winter. Um, And it's a great time to work on, on swing changes. But as you start a new season, you should really be focusing a lot on your short game uh, because it's the thing that you really haven't been able to do a great deal uh, is work on, you know, chipping, pitching, lag putting, um, getting a feel for the golf club in your hands when it comes to the shots that basically make up, you know, for depending on, on who you are, 60 or 70% of the strokes uh, that you've got on the golf course. So uh, as soon as the the weather breaks and you have a chance to go out and practice, don't rush to the driving range, go to the short game area, go to the putting green, start working on your, on your short game skills and you'll see those scores uh, early in the season. Your scores will be uh, much closer to what you're hoping for and what you're excited about, you know, what's going to get you out to the golf course. So, um, that's what I would, I'd really recommend everybody tend to focus on more at the very beginning of the, of the season.
1: Some great advice to start the season out. Thank you, uh, Paul. Um, Bill, what about yourself? You're getting ready. I know you're down in uh, Florida still. So you're, enjoying uh, some steamy weather today, but uh, what are you most looking forward
2: to? Yeah, it was only to 93 today, so I, I wanted to get up a little higher, but that's beside the point. So, um, no, it, um, I really think, especially the people in the northern climes have to give the game up for a little while, I think number one is their setup, making sure that they're balanced and braced and have a, have a good foundation to, to build the swing upon going up. The scoring game, again, the putting, the wedge play – and I think the routine, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier, and I think it's something that gets left behind. And it doesn't have to be a complex routine, but just having something that you can go to every time that builds some confidence in your ability to make a swing.
1: I couldn't agree more. Um, some, some great advice to uh, start the season out outright. Um, and, Tim, what about you? You know, obviously um, you're working with a lot of uh, – various caliber of players some from the top players uh down to some uh folks that are maybe just getting started out but um what are you going to talk to them about uh, early in the season to get them ready and focused for for a brand new year
4: Yeah is you know unlike the other guys and I don't work as much on swing with them anymore um I certainly used to but not quite as much anymore but I have what I call my 1% rule and what I ask of my players is is to do something every day. It might be on the course. It might be off the course. It might be learning something new, might be a new mindset, but to get 1% better today at something in the game, and it doesn't matter what it is. uh, You kind of intuitively know what needs to improve the most, but to but but at the end of the day to feel that you are 1% better at something and, you know, as silly as it sounds, the end of the year, if we did that every day, well, we'd be, what, 356, or this year, 357% better. So uh, it's just a little things we can do every day to just improve and feel a little more satisfaction with ourselves and our games. The other thing is find find, find a great coach that can really mentor you. Um, I think if you're going to get serious at this sport, you really need to find somebody that's good, that you trust and want to work with. Um, I see too many people trying to do it on their own uh, for too long. And I don't think that's the way to go. Um, so, you know, I really appreciate what these other guys do. I I know of their reputations, uh, how good they are. And um, I, I just encourage people who really want to excel in this sport. You can't do it by yourself. You got to get some help of some kind. Find some
1: great. Uh, yeah. Some great words of wisdom, uh, Tim, for sure. I, I think that, you know, it, like anything in life, you know, we all have somebody that's helped us um, uh, along the way. And I like that 1% approach. I think, you know, many times, as we sort of touched on a little bit earlier, is that many people set uh, unrealistic goals for themselves. And I think this only adds to the frustration uh, levels, if you will, because they're, they're unattainable, uh, you know, in the short term, and they might be okay for a long term goal. But sometimes you need to just have small baby steps as we've talked about here tonight uh, and when you do that then your confidence level builds and builds and builds each day and uh, working on uh, you know, all aspects of your game of course but, uh, but doing it in such a way that's, that's productive and allowing you to see those changes and results along the way and not uh, being so over daunting and overwhelming. Um, very quickly guys as we, we wrap up, uh, again I'll go reverse order this time uh, Tim if you want to just let the folks know if they're interested in reaching out, the best way that they can contact you
4: yeah, best way would be um, to uh, get a hold of me online. It's at tim at PeakPerformanceMindCoaching.com. Uh, we do have a daily thought of the day that we uh, people from all over the world subscribe to. Uh, the other thing is we have instructor certification program that is really uh, going full steam. So anybody who's interested more in learning about the mind game, I would just encourage them to get onto our website. And uh, um, the, my contact information is on there.
1: Perfect. And uh, Mr. Abrams, you're next.
2: Um, simplest way to get me is go to my uh, website, billabramsgolf.com. Um, I've got an uh, area there where you can contact me. Um, I'll be at uh, Grand Palms through uh, in Pembroke Pines, Florida, through uh, April 10th. And then I'll be starting up uh, uh, two weeks later at uh, Balmoral Woods in Chicago.
1: Perfect. Very good. Well, safe, uh, safe travels and enjoy the, the uh, remaining weeks in Florida and in, in, uh, nice uh, sunny weather. And uh, hopefully by the time you head back up to Chicago, uh, the weather will have caught up a little bit and uh, you'll have some good weather there as well. Um, last but not least, Paul, uh, how can the folks reach uh, Best Way to Reach You? Ted, thanks so much for
3: having me. Um, my, my, like Bill, my website is the best, probably the best way to reach me, and that's paulcastergolf.com. My email is paul at com, And um, I have an indoor facility uh, just outside of Red Bank, New Jersey, and I'll be coaching short game and putting um, at a a club called Jumping Brook Golf Club starting this year. Uh, So uh, if anybody wants to reach out, uh, they're more than welcome to.
1: Well, perfect. Well, guys, uh, once again, thank you very much for – launching uh coaches corner season, a brand new season here. Uh, this is season number eight for golf talk live as a general rule and seven actually for coaches corner. Cause we started a little bit later. Um, but uh, I think it was a great start to the season and I'm looking forward to some more uh, interesting and, and uh, you know, uh, fact filled uh, discussions, if you will, as the season progresses. So thank you very much for always uh, bringing your best guys. And uh, I will see you next time on the coaches corner panel.
2: Thanks, Chad. Thanks
1: for having us. appreciate
2: it. it. Truly appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great great season. Bye-bye.
3: Have a great night.
1: All right. That was uh, Paul Castor, uh, Bill Abrams, and Tim Kramer on uh, the uh, 2020 inaugural Coaches Corner panel, if you will, of the season. Uh, Very, very excited to have the guys on and always have a lot of fun with them. And I look forward to... Uh, all of the uh, the panels throughout the season. I know these guys will be coming back on uh, periodically throughout uh, the season as well, and we'll have some more interesting discussions as well. Um, uh, again, just a, a quick uh, program note. Uh, Coach's Corner will be, uh, after this evening, will be every week, so I'm back to the full schedule, if you will, uh, here on Golf Talk Live. So uh, the Coach's Corner will be the first hour uh, of the show, and then the second hour will be, uh, as before, uh, my uh, guest interviews. And uh, speaking of guests, tonight uh, is going to be my, my very special guest, Terry Purdom. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her uh, while I wait for her to come on board, and then uh, when she appears, we'll, uh, we'll bring her right on and, and get into our discussion. Uh, Terry is the uh, president and founder of Turf Life, um, she is also the publisher of Southern Gulf Central Magazine. And in her words, uh, she uh, create, authorize, gather, and represent the company, generate revenue, and cultivate an atmosphere that attracts fun-loving, creative minds. Uh, I strive to maintain a fun and philanthropic uh, medium to uh, reach golfers of all types, uh, a.k.a. growing the game. Uh, After 21 years of publishing the only monthly regional golf magazine, Uh, We have rebranded and expanded our reach to include Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, Tennessee, and both North and South Carolina. Um, And a little bit about turf life. Well, turf life, it's not just a game. It's a way of life. Uh, Our goal is to educate and create awareness on everything turf-related, from the consumer player to the industry players. Uh, I know in my heart that one does not exist without the other, and some great words to, to live by. And I see that she's ready, so please welcome uh, my very special guest this evening, Terry Purdom. Yes, sir. Good, e- good evening, Terry. Welcome to the show.
0: This is really groovy. I uh, am excited about doing this with you. By the way, you sound much shorter on air. I hope everybody knows you're like a tall guy. You're like six, four, five, right?
1: Yeah, and well, I think I've shrunk a little bit, but yeah, you're, you're pretty close. 6'7", yeah, I'm,
0: I'm, you, you went down now, to 6'5". Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think I've lost a couple <laughs> since the show. Just, just to kind of fill everybody in the, on the blanks here, um, I actually met Terry. I was at this year's, I hadn't been for a few years, and I was at the PJ Merchandising Show in, in late January, and uh, through a mutual friend, John Hughes, of course, who's a regular on the program, uh, I met Big Terry. Big John Hughes, at the,
0: everybody loves him.
1: Yeah, John's a great guy and, and one of my favorite guests here on the program uh, every season. He's been with me pretty much since the beginning, so I'm looking forward. In fact, he'll be coming on, I think, next week or the week after. But uh, So we, we met there, and, and I've already read out uh, a little bit about you, so everybody's uh, good. Let me Let me start with the obvious, since I know you've never been on the show before, and just uh, maybe you can explain a little bit to the folks um, how you got attracted to the golf industry. Why golf, as opposed to say a, a different industry? What was it about golf that you really enjoyed and well, was part of? Well, some- it
0: was it was kind of all about a man, which is most of the reasons why I ended up where I have as an entrepreneur, um, from a young person to, you know, in my middle uh, late thirties and i had a little bit of cash from a former business i was in for 14 years i i started a franchise with my ex-husband, and when we parted ways, I said, oh, my gosh, I want to get into the golf industry. This seems so fun, and press was so easy for us to get because of the business that we had. I loved it. I loved the whole aspect of, you know, being on Airbnb you know, in the news, and it, it helped our build our business, and I was so grateful for the people who gave us the opportunity to build our franchise. I said, that's what I want to do. I want to help people get in front of the cameras, and I fell in love with the Turfgrass Association, so it kind of started from that side of the turf to come over to the consumer, and I've always been a farm girl, love growing, you know, mowing, and, and uh, you know, that's where where the whole turf life came from, so I moved to Orlando um, with some money in the bank and opened up the golf attic, which was antiques, collectibles, memorabilia, new and used clubs. We were kind of like the play it against sports for um, golfers, and plus, you know, the element of the collectibles and antiques, and I learned so much, Ted, oh my gosh, I I learned, first of all, that I was green, I was clueless when it came to equipment, and then as the men came in and taught me, men and women, you know, about what's up and what's what, I learned uh, real fast that, you know, in order to get the word out, you can't just go stand on a putting contest and throw a sign up for $150 to really build a business. you got to get in front of the press. And uh, that's how I started the publication. I went from working with the Turfgrass Association's magazine to ha- opening up a golf shop and then saying, you know what, I know what I'm doing. Why don't I just make my own magazine? And back then it was like the Orlando Sentinel and another guide that was here. That was our only options. So that's how I started Golf Central. And I'd query the guys and girls that came in, like, hey, do you think it's a good idea if we do cart girl of the month? And, you know, 90% of the people say, oh, yeah, that's a great feature. You need to do that. Put that in there, Pertum. That will be a great idea. Or I'd say, hey, you know, what about uh, highlighting like an old guy, like a Joe golfer? And they would, you know, if you ask people, they will tell you. If you put a comment card out there and say, okay, where do we stink or where are we really doing well or where's the room for improvement, people will tell you most of the time. And oh, that's, yeah. that's how I built it.
1: Yeah, and you, you have to have, I agree wholeheartedly, you have to have thick skin too because I'm sure some of the comments over the years can be um, <laughs> always a little bit shocking. But, but you know, that's, you're right. That's the fun about being involved in, in media and, and so forth. And you're exactly right. You've got to get out in front of the press, if you will. Um, to, to share your story. So let's talk a little bit about turf life. Um, you you mentioned, obviously, kind of having a little bit of a uh, a farming background, if you will, and obviously turf has been something that's been of interest to you. But um, as you have become more, uh, I guess, uh, knowledgeable about the golf industry and you've seen so many changes, what are some of the things Absolutely. that you've noticed in the last, say, 10 to 20 years that's really... Um, moved into the forefront, uh, if you will, in, in golf when it comes to turf and, and grass? Because obviously in Florida, as you know, I mean, there's the temperatures range from cool in the northwest, yes. uh, where I am, to pretty steamy hot in, in the southeast. So there's a lot of different grasses involved. What? Why is it important that people understand about
0: turf? That's a great question, because people are always asking me, you know, do you really think consumer golfers care about the golf course superintendent? And I've even had people tell me, that they don't want to know. They don't care. It's completely different now. You say the last 10 years. If you watch some of the majors, uh, you watch the U.S. Open, you watch that, they're going to talk about that golf course superintendent, that head agronomist, and what his team are doing to prepare for this major event that's coming to that golf course. And when I say head agronomist, those guys have, men and women have agronomy degrees. They're not Mr. and Mrs. Jones running to the Home Depot and spreading Roundup out. There, They know what they're doing. They've been schooled to learn this. And when you talk about regions and, you know, from where you are up there in the Panhandle, which is beautiful, by the way, I Mm -hmm. love it up there, um, all the way down to Naples, and when you get to the tropics, it's a whole different ballgame. And then we're surrounded by saltwater. We have to constantly be researching grasses that are salt-tolerant, drought-tolerant, and, you know, of course, the abuse that the grass takes. Um, And just the classiness of the way that people are respecting the superintendent and understanding, you know, like if we don't have grass growing, Ted, come on. We don't have a job. You don't have a radio show. Golf Talk Live will right. not be live. And, and, and all the pros who don't understand, who don't care, who don't think, they have to know now. They have to get on board. Jack Nichols just started the, one of the campaigns that we ran pretty successfully, uh, might I add, as an awareness campaign. Uh, and he had Charles Barkley, and he had um, Justin Timberlake on the ad campaigns. If you love golf as much as I do, thank your golf course superintendent. And it was with the yep. Golf Course Superintendent Association of America that, that we were running that. And it's true, you know, not just thanking them, but being aware. If you don't repair your ball mark, you're pretty much a, a you know, I don't want to call them a douchebag, but it's, there's got to be another word for it besides that. Um, I should have said I might say something inappropriate. <laughs> but, you know, when you would go to a, one of the most exquisite, exclusive golf courses, and I get to visit, as you know, we get, as, as privileged as we are, get to visit some pretty, swanky courses and play some beautiful tracks and are always out there. When you see Maseratis and Bentleys and people like that playing and you roll up in in the parking lot, you watch those gentlemen and those women play, they all repair their ball mark. They run garbage down. They don't leave a cigar laying down on the grass because they're the ones that are paying that very, very inflated membership fee at the Seminole or, you know, wherever. They care about what's happening with the grass. They care about the golf course superintendent. And it's the smart thing to do because, let's face it, it, you know, it's everywhere. It's just going to be hotter if we don't have grass growing anywhere. Go to pavements and parking lots. Um, but that was part of the reason for the awareness campaign and the education and the respect that Turf Life became, which I got trademarked, by the way, June 2nd, 2015 is when I actually got the trademark for it. But I've always done an article since the very beginning. We're going to be celebrating 21 years, April 1st. I know, it was April wow. 1st. 1999, April 1st is when I came out with the first issue. And uh, I've always had an article in there about the golf course superintendents Used to be authored by Joel Jackson. A lot of people know and respect him. He's out in L.A. now, and uh, he he had a fun way of writing it. So it wasn't like what are, you know chinch bugs, mole crickets, what fungus you know. Like he he had a Disney right. a- aspect of writing it, so it was entertaining.
1: Well, and and you know you raise a, a very interesting point as well, Terry, and that is you know not only do a lot of people not understand. The golf course superintendents, but they don't understand the fact that chemicals have changed over the, the last decade or so as well. Absolutely. You mentioned, you know, Justin Timberlake, who you know is a big proponent of of you know not using a lot of these uh, traditionally harsh chemicals. So this is something that a lot of these folks have really had to um, become aware of, um, not just to um, save the golf courses, but to be environmentally friendly as well. Um, because obviously they've come to realize that some of these harsh chemicals are, are not only not good for the the, the grass ultimately, but um, over time, but they're not good for us either. So maybe you well, can touch a little it's bit about
0: Justin that. His brand pardon me for jumping his his brand Meramichi, is all natural fertilizing it's all natural chemicals, and we you know I could name drop but there's some pretty famous people who have children that are in the equine business, which is another turf sport you know the the equestrian people if they pay millions mm-hmm. of dollars for that horse and their daughter is you know in jumping or running or whatever in the horse business they don't want that track to be treated with anything that's not all natural and safe for that horse's hose so you think about the same thing uh when we're doing the audubon international signature series which i do every month also i do something for the audubon society every month and just celebrating those courses that take the extra time you know it's preserving and improving wildlife and habitat protecting water quality into reducing the chemical use even. And, and we salute those companies that do it. Matter of fact, I know I'm going to run on here, but I will just a minute. There's a course that we just did a little thing on, Tierra Verde Golf Club, out of um, next to Arlington, Texas, I want to say, out Dallas area. And they, it's really cool what they're doing. They have Grease for Greens program. And it's not just them. This is how groovy they are. They've gotten other local businesses to bring them the oils from the restaurants and pubs, and they're reusing it. It's, um, oh, poo, I'm going to think of the word here, biodiesel fu- fuel. And right. so 40 gallons of that can be used It's oil collected from the restaurants. Of course, they're on 19th Hall, of course, and it will make 30 gallons of biodiesel. So do you think we weren't doing that 10 years ago? We weren't even. We, I'm sure we were thinking about it. We probably had scientists that were trying to make something work that way. I just got a, a press release. Another really really cool thing about a property down in Southwest Florida, Badcock Ranch. It's a Lennar property. Hmm. The first all solar powered community in the U.S. 18 holes of golf just opened up. Come on wow. now, how cool is that? In the Sunshine State, baby.
3: <laughs>
0: Very you gotta, cool. to think that way, I mean, the sun is shining, I don't use my dryer when I dry clothes. Too. I just want everyone to know that that's listening. My friends make fun of me because um I won't use my dryer because the sun and the wind is blowing, okay? It's solar powered. It's called clothesline. Um <laughs> and everybody goes. But you're living in a Tuscola. You're living in a community. It's a country club community. I go. I know nobody can see my clothesline. Just shh, shh, shh. shh. I like the idea that I do that. <laughs> so anyway, well, um, I just yeah, I'm really passionate about it, as you can tell. And it could be it can get boring and unsexy when you start talking about eh, and nah, nah, and you know the golf course. But if a guy has a problem on a golf course and he goes to the head pro. And nothing to take away from any of the pros. I love them all. I do an article for the North Florida PGA, the South Florida PGA, every issue. And they don't know why there's that going on. They have to turn around and go, hold on a second, let me get my superintendent on the line and see what they're saying about why so-and-so is happening or where there's water that's not draining. And, and come on, they, they deserve the props. And besides that, we came up with some really cool things like – understanding how passionate they are i get all the jokes from uh you know they're watching their weather apps and then one wife was telling me a story about her husband was giving her their daughter away they were at a wedding and he could not leave his golf course long enough to go to his daughter's wedding it was an out-of-town wedding looking at his weather app while he's walking down the aisle with his daughter. Like, that's how eaten up they are. by. They love their trade. And they'll always take good morning pictures and put them up online, and they'll say, that's my office. That's where I work. So we came up with one of our Turf Life shirts. Is just another day at the golfist, not the office. I said, no, it's your golfist. So we put a little pun on that. They love it. They eat it up. It's good.
1: Well, you know, Terry, the the the, the really cool thing about it is I think as – and obviously it's, it's like anything in any industry, sometimes it can be slow to change. And I know for a long, long time, um, as I'm sure you can attest to, there was probably a lot of, um, pushback with some of the changes that are being introduced, but in the, in the long run, as you pointed out earlier, you know, folks like Jack Nicholas and others that have been in the industry for a long time recognize not only the importance of people, um, that help to maintain the golf courses, but, um, things that can help change to make it um, better uh, for the game in general and understanding some of the uh, changes in in chemicals um, and, you know, moving to more natural. So is this something that you're seeing more and more golf? Obviously in Florida we're seeing that happening more, but are you really starting to notice that um, as you reach out into other areas?
0: Absolutely, across the country. Is that something
1: that's really uh, more in the forefront, do you think?
0: absolutely and it's going to get even more prevalent and i hope to be you know a pioneer i hope that you know if i get hit by the bus tomorrow ted you can say she was on my show preaching the night before about the fact that we have to respect the men and women who maintain the courses and understand the difference and now you know bringing them up and and highlighting them has made it even more important like oh i better watch what i'm doing because they're really watching me now and i have to be more environmentally sensitive just like I said, before, uh, what was it, the Open, it was out west, and everybody was complaining about how brown the course was, I I can't think of it right now, but, um, you know, they literally had to talk to the golf course superintendent now before every major event, and they see the John Deere tractors coming through, and they see, you know, they have commercials, and they'll have like a 30, 40-minute uh expose before a major tour event celebrating the people who are getting it ready where they were at three o'clock in the morning because their alarm went off and they were out there with lights on and tractors and they get to see all the wildlife and they love it they love what they do they also most of them are pretty good golfers and uh one thing i've learned too in this industry for 21 years is if you want a free round of golf in the business (laughs) You can be turned down by a pro sometimes because of a tea time. But a golf course superintendent wants you – that's his course. That's her course. They want right. you to play their baby. That's their baby. So they really take a lot of pride in it. And I take a lot of pride in making sure that they're highlighted, respected, understood, and that we're rounds for research. It's a, a big deal that we start uh, – I think this month we start in the Golf Course Superintendent's Association of America where – Different courses will donate foursomes, and I'm not talking about municipals. I'm talking about some she right. front fron golf courses. Um, do, do you ever talk about rounds for research on the show?
1: Um, not particularly, no, but uh, that's something I definitely would be interested in, in bringing to the show.
0: Well, I think we should pimp it as hard as we can because regardless of what course donates the foursome, when that course donates that foursome it goes the money goes straight to research and what a lot of people don't know on the other side of the turf is that we have to go to tallahassee to fight for the right to grow and there's a whole bunch of people that know what they're doing and all over from the carolinas to you know the frozen tundra of up north when the grass starts coming back here it's a completely different thing. We ha- we really have to go to Tallahassee and say, Okay, you know, what are the watering restrictions gonna be right after a hurricane? Because we just got blasted with all the water, or what are we gonna do with the drain off or just like anything else that happens environmentally, uh you know, this legislation has to happen and that's part of the turf right. life mission is to make everybody happen and be aware. So Well and I think we love yeah, celebrating. And I think
1: also. Right. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and I think that, you know, part of the thing that people don't understand is it, it's it's not just as simple, as you just pointed out, as, as you know, planting new grass. There's a lot of hoops that sometimes have to go through uh, in order to get the, the necessary uh, approval and, and so forth. So And this is something that, you know, you were pointing out earlier. And you, you talked about, you know, things like pavements and, and that and, and heat. And you know, when you this is why you're seeing more and more major cities like New York and and others who are are going more green is because they're recognizing that yeah they have green spaces
0: they create green spaces because they know they have to have it because it's cooler. There was a study done about people that were incarcerated um, for crimes on on people. What, What is that called? An assault on a person. They were convicted of a crime and went to prison. And if they got on a crew where or you know for whatever good behavior and they got to go and work out in a garden or they got to go mow some sort of you know land or do something where they helped grow something to feed or grass that they when they got out of jail they were 99.9 percent less likely to ever commit a crime on someone else or do something wrong and I just went you know what if that data that kind of data is pretty interesting to me but when I hear how growing just makes the difference. And, I, and they, we we call me the founding farmer sometimes, uh, just as a joke, because I planted a seed. And there's a bunch of fertilizer around here too, by the way, bunch of fertilizer, if you know what I mean. Everybody right. on my staff, we're full of fertilizer. But, you know, we're growing the awareness. We're growing the brand. And I, may I here stop and say, my staff – Cannot be any more devoted or any more. Uh I mean, they drag their testes over hot coals for me in every aspect of what we're doing. It's, <laughs> this, is a, this is a tough business, 76 pages, full color, glossy every month. And then I throw on top of that, oh, we're going to build this lifestyle brand. And they go, oh, is it going to be like Salt Life? And I'm like, no, nope, nope, completely. Salt Life did $687 million in sales last year. Yeah. So that would be nice if someday we were <laughs> like them. But ours is right. an awareness campaign and stuff. But my Shannon My editor-in-chief, she's 44 years old, and she's one of the sharpest people on the planet, and the fact that they still work for me and work with me after 21 years, you know, Beverly Wise and and Greg Wise, and if I may, just, you know, I've, I've had such a wonderful run and such a great team that have stood by me through everything, through hurricanes, through the crash. You know, when we were all making money, and, you know, I, I felt like the white Oprah. I was, like, spinning money out of my hands. You know what, they, what do they call that when you throw money out? I, you get a car. You get a, I mean, we were making so much money uh, it, when the real estate thing was happening. It, I was calling this in, like, from Cooperstown, New York, when I went up there, and I'd be on a pontoon boat just calling the magazine in, and everybody was just doing everything. And they stood by me through all of that. Some of the losses that I've had, you know, I've suffered some, a major loss of people, right. you know, eight people in the last several years that are on my staff or in my team or friends and family. And it's nice when people are here for you all the time. And it's one thing our industry, Ted, come on now. You've mm-hmm. got you to gotta admit we, yep. we have the best group of people in the world in our industry.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think the golf industry really – and I think this is what sets it apart from so many other uh, sports out there is, you know, um, nobody generates more money for very worthy causey, uh, causes than the golf industry. I mean, you think of all the tournaments worldwide that go on uh, for different special events. I mean, no other sport generates the kind of revenue that golf does. $40 billion
0: last year. $40 billion yeah, I, dollars last year raised via the game of golf and that's right. one of you know our tag on Golf Central magazine is turf travel philanthropy mm-hmm. lifestyle because we try to cover every little golf course that gives back to anything. And and that's another thing for all your readers that are listening, if you need magazines for goodie bags or if you ever have a charity golf event, I'll cover it for you. I'll do a free ad campaign up front and we'll do post-event editorial after your event. You do the check presentation. Love to kick the sponsors. Mm-hmm. If, if Dr. and Mrs. Jones want it and he was part of the research for, you know, some sort of uh, infliction you know, from autism to Tee it up for the troops birdies for the brave wounded warriors folds of honor i mean we we, what we do for every aspect of the world should just make everyone understand why golf is not just an important sport but why they want to get their family and their children in and it's never too late that's another thing too you can start at any time
1: yeah and that's the thing and and that's the other thing that's you know interesting about the the sport as well about the, the game of golf and that is um, unlike so many other sports where, you know, whether it be tennis or, or what have you, you know, much later in life, sometimes you're kind of winding down a little bit because it's just hard on the, on the joints. But golf is something that at any age you can, you can even pick up a club and, and get out and play. All right. I want to move on to, um, and, and talk about, um, this is kind of an interesting topic and I'm, I'm sure you've got some great, uh, great feedback, but, uh, Golf dates, dating and golf. Um, you know, as you know, Terry, ah! golf tradition Yeah has been I'd like that.
0: Golf okay, listen up, been, gentlemen and ladies, yeah. right now. You're gonna get schooled. Let me, tell yeah, tell let me let me about just, your uh, first first golf date. Let me hear that. I'd love to hear that story. Um well, you ever take a a single woman out on on a golf date the first time you met her and you took her out to play golf?
1: Not the first time I met her, but yeah, I, oh. early on, and unfortunately, um, <laughs> most of the, the men that I had had dated, um, you know, some played a little bit, but they were not real diehard golfers. So uh, I did have I can remember years ago I had one girl that used to love, you know, when I'd go out and practice or something like that. She would literally, uh, you know, plunk a lawn chair down and watch for hours, and it just it baffled me, and and uh, it, it was you know it was kind of unusual because uh, most of the people that I had dated up at that point. Um, you know, never, even my sister, I can remember my sister who's no longer with us, but, uh, I even got her into the game right. of golf years back and, um, it, it, she was just somebody that just didn't get it, didn't understand, couldn't get why people would chase this little white ball around. And I finally got angry at her and I actually said, look, you should either shut up about it or go out and try, give it a try. And she did. And ultimately ended up, uh, you know, playing, uh, many, many years of, of the game and enjoyed it. So I actually, oh, converted you're a good her, but brother well that's a you know great what
0: brother. i mean, anybody you know, that introduces said, anybody to the game i think is you know we've got to put a star on their chart somewhere if you bring a beginner golfer out all the time i just think that's oh, so yeah. important and she liked the environment i don't know why she would sit there and watched you hit balls all day i don't know about that one not, I, mean. well, <laughs> I guess they would love
1: but but anyways um, but you know what's interesting let me just preface this a little bit then i'll then i'll let you go but um you know, when it comes to golf and dating, I think one of the the, the no nos that I see is is a, a lot of men um, at any level think that they need to teach their partner. And I'm saying more men because obviously golf, as you know, traditionally has been a male dominated sport, but it's changing Correct. very rapidly. Thank
0: it it God. has. Yes, but, it was.
1: But and and more and more women of all ages. In fact, the, demographically, uh, women represent the largest. Um, demographic, if you will, of, of new golfers coming in. About 35% of all new golfers are young females. So that's great Woo-hoo! for the sport. But yeah, which is fantastic. It's long overdue and I'm a big proponent of that. But one of the problems that I always saw, and, and I've even told some of my personal friends, I mean, I'm a golf teacher and that by, by trade as well. But one of the things that I used to tell my buddies and I said, look, whatever you do, if you date a girl, that even shows the slightest interest in learning this game Do not take her to the golf course and you teach her how to play. Whether you come to me or you go somewhere else, get a golf professional to give her some lessons and you just stay the heck out of it and let her enjoy the experience. Because I've seen more people divorced. I've seen more people broken up because their boyfriends try to teach them or their husbands try to teach them on the golf course. So that's, in my opinion, a big no-no, even if you're an accomplished golfer. but. What's your take on this? What do you think? and, and Well, how do you I, think you see,
0: I don't this? mind the instruction. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm a clown out there most of the time, I've, but I do take – a lot of beginner golfers out there. And I don't date guys who don't play golf. Now, if they don't want to learn, they can't date Terry Purdom. If they don't want to at least go out there and try, then we're not going to, right. it's not going to be a match. It's not going to be a mate, but I don't mind the instruction from, and I was amateur of the year twice in '09 from the North Florida PGA section chapter. And I do what I do. And I get to play a lot for free and, you know, all the different opportunities I get to play. And I like, um, the best ball play, and I love, you know, being able to out people from the ladies' seats. I like all that fun stuff. But what I don't, I don't like is if you tell them that, you know, let me try this. Okay, I heard what you said. Let me try this. And then they're barking at you and making you uncomfortable. Um, you know, that's where it steps with the line. That's with anything, though. That's with you're teaching somebody how to drive or cook or anything. If you can't be nice and instruct them you shouldn't be on that you know shouldn't be instructing period and you know how many pros out there have to deal with people who just don't listen or they're on a trip um, you know caddies I love talking to the caddies that instruct people I have a gentleman who's a photographer and a journalist on my staff who caddies at Stream Song in the winter and Baltusrol in the summer and he's from New Jersey Greg Corbo I've had you know I've had Greg he actually helped me start the magazine years ago then we took a little couple of years of hiatus. Now he's back with me. But the way he talks about, you know, helping people just learn how to break the track, trap or, you know, again, the ball mark repair, you know, sunscreen, uh, watching other people do what they do and being, you know, polite. And I tell people golf is, you know, like it, I deal with a lot of people in the industry that never play golf, but they buy Golf media for some of the best resorts in the world. I'm like, so you know, Marilyn, how's your game? Or you know, do you and your husband play? No, I play putt-putt, but I really haven't got. I said, come on out, come on out with us. It's fun. Don't let it intimidate you. Just don't try to be good at it. But if you go out on a golf date, and like you said, you you didn't do it for the first time, which is usually smart because you don't want to be saddled up for four hours with somebody that you you just know right away. Uh, Breath. You know, you're going to be right next to somebody in a golf cart. Have, take, Bring mints, for goodness sakes. Just common sense things. <laughs> you know, don't light up a cigar or cigarette if that woman might be offended by that. Help her put her clubs in right. there. Be generous with the cart girl. You know, you can be flirty and fun with a cart girl, but also tip her heavily. Tip the staff that come out to get your bags. Don't look like a, you know, it, 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 it just gets me when people treat, other you know staff members or someone who's working that's a bad bad golf they always help them rake the trap oh you know look for their ball watch their ball help them line up their putt you know just the common sense etiquette things that you would do when you're out with your buddies hopefully you you play you know like that and respectful um don't get handsy you know don't turn your don't come around behind them and teach them how to swing unless you absolutely know that that's okay to do which most right. people shouldn't but you know i am i'm a little picky when it comes to how people should be treating men and women out there when it comes to golf dating you know drinking like you don't drink too much you don't uh automatically yep. assume that you're going to be driving the cart because you're the guy so you put her bags over there but it's her home course right you know what i'm saying And I love watching the little old couples at, at, you know, different country clubs that have played together for years and years and years. They know, she knows where his water cup's going to go and she's already got that. He's back there washing her clubs off a little bit with them. And they ride off into the sunset and play 18 holes and kiss on the pars and, you know, hug on the birdies or, or opposite. Or make out heavily on a birdie. I don't know what they do as old people out there. I don't watch them all the time. But but it could be like that. And that's a cute game to play, you know. We handshake if we par. We hug if it's a birdie. And, you know, we, we kiss if it's, the, you know, the double. I don't know. Everybody make up their own well, rules. You know, Just be polite is my point.
1: <laughs> you got to be funny. And you're exactly right. You know something too, Terry, that, um, that a lot of couples can – uh, especially women, if you're out on a on a golf date, uh, especially if it's the first time, um, how your gentleman treats people at the golf course, ah, you know, huge. Um, how how he interacts, you know, this is why golf has been such a a, a fabulous business tool over the years, is because really you learn so much about your playing partners, uh, and you know potential um, uh, you know prospects, if you will, that you take to the golf course. Well, the same That's thing is in the dating. Point, environment.
0: Right there, absolutely.
1: You know, if they're, you know, if he's whipping his clubs around because he's not playing his best, or he's, you know, cussing or whatever, or he's, you know, acting inappropriately, uh, you know, to others and that, then that tells you right away that it's more than likely not going to end up in a second date. Um, so that's why it's good to get to know the person, and that is a great way to get to know them out on the golf course. Yeah, but if, if they he can't stands the divot
0: after he hits the, you know, if he's if he's got a driver out. And he crushes the ball. Hopefully, you're going to celebrate. And you always notice when you're, you're dating guys who don't play with women a lot. They'll hit the balls, and, and there's you know you're the only woman on a foursome. Let's say, They're, everybody's hitting their balls from the white, and then of course I want to come up to the red, and they'll just pass the red, and I'll go whoa 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 back back there. I'm playing too, right back there at the red tees, please. Everybody, pay attention, and you know just little things like again with the cigarettes and the garbage and you know the drinking anything that is fun and within line um i think you know it's it's just like common sense i tell people that the rules of golf are like fine dining if you know where the fork is supposed to go and your napkin is supposed to be in your lap and you know the way that you're when you're finished where your knife goes and glasses go it's just about knowing the rules it's just about being Polite and you know, the etiquette is everything. Making sure that if you're not playing well, that you're letting people go through, you know. And if you're with a foursome and they're out there and they're just trying to help you learn and they say, oh, I hit another ball, you know, I hit it, then don't you know, screw around and make it hard, just walk up to the ball and hit another ball, you know, until you get it. And that's, of course, beginners, it's not a mulligan, that's just being kind to people when you're bringing people back out there so they don't think. It's a staunch conservative. When I started playing years ago, we weren't allowed to wear what we are allowed to wear today. It was really like they, I remember going into a clubhouse. I don't know where I was. I think it was Southwest Florida. I think it was like a Naples kind of bougie, kind of fancy club. I don't remember where I was now. And they measured the length of my shorts from my waist to my knee. And I vowed right then. I said, "This why is that tennis lady over there?" And she doesn't even have a cup holder for her champagne. So I don't know what she's doing over there with that outfit on. But uh, I started wearing skirts, and I think I was one of the first women to really like, embrace the. Sk- and I'm 59, so we're talking about you know that far back when. It, it, people used to measure the waist to the knee, and now skorts are a thing. It's what we all wear. It's comfortable. It's sporty like a short skirt. In, in, what is it? Classy like a short, sporty like a skirt. And uh, so it's that's how it's called. And you know what that is. It's got pants underneath the yep. skirt. So right, you, exactly. Well, it, And I don't like women that bend that. over and pick up their ball anyway. I like women that squat and pick their ball up out or squat and tee kind of a lady like
1: thing you know well and most of them are pretty good and i think this goes down to like you said good good um uh, manners and so forth but i think also too you know a a lot of people when you're at the golf course i mean you, you you do have to put your your best foot forward i mean you're there um you know to have a good time you're there to have fun and and the golf course wants you to have fun but they also want you to be respective that there's other people out there as well and you know if you're carrying on and creating a fuss and and uh, you know, fighting and and being disruptive on the golf course, then it it, it lowers everybody else's uh, pleasure. I, I oh, think. You know what? You, and, you know, you
0: just brought up a good point too. Uh, one thing on a golf date, I, I can't say. A Guys really good, or he thinks he's really good, and you're on a date, and he hits a a, a stinky shot. Right? We just put a yeah. smiley face down on the score card if he if he goes past the snowman, whatever. But if the next three holes, he's still talking about that shot back there, you know, on number three, and we're on number nine now, and he's still going, God, I should have had a line in and he's still talking about it. No, don't do that. I think one of the sexiest things on a golf date is the you know the chip shot. Somebody who comes out of the sand and holes out, or somebody who chips it up on the green from around the if, if people just practice that and – look good doing that at their end for me. That's that's the game. A long drive, like the hot shots, the young guns that come up and try to crush the ball and then they're throwing it into the woods right or the, and then they're turning around looking at you like oh no, I don't want to get behind the woman, you know, and play. And then they're spraying it all over the golf course because they're trying to be hot shots in front of their friends. I laugh about that a little bit. I think that's funny. And I see it a lot. I see a lot. You know, you know it reminds me
1: share something real quick on that line of, of thought. I can remember years ago, I played with a group of of, of women who were probably in there at that time were in their fifties. And I was, you know, it's probably about 20 years ago now. So I was in my, in my thirties, but, um, and you know, I was always a, a good golfer and I, I got put in with this group. And I remember there were a group of young guns that, that were younger than me. And, uh, I could hear them kind of whispering to the, to the starter and saying, look, we don't want to get behind this group of women. Right. The front. So we let them, we let them go in front. And it was exactly as you said. It was like left, right, left, right, and after about five or six <laughs> right? of of being, you know, frustrated behind them, I just went up to them. I said, "Guys, do you mind if me and the ladies play through?" <laughs> I said, "You're kind of pulling it up." Because just as you pointed out earlier, the, these women, even though they were not great accomplished players, they knew how to play the game. We weren't playing in a tournament, so you know the rules were, you know, were what they were. But, you know, they knew when to pick up the ball, and they knew when to keep the pace of play, much better than these young guys. And, you know, the by the time we got to, you know, these young guns came in on the 18, they were like dogs with their tails between their legs. And they were embarrassed because, you know, here are these, you know, three 50-year-old women uh, basically passing. Right down the middle. Passing right, right down the middle, and they were playing.
0: Consistent. and
1: you know, i I handed them my uh, in addition to the women I handed the the young guys uh, my business card at the time because I was teaching it actually <laughs> at that particular, and I said, you guys might want to consider coming in for a lesson, and actually two of them did two of them were I think were too embarrassed, but yeah, two of them did so i did, I got a little business Good out job. of it in addition to the, but you know I've got it, it goes to, your to share point
0: of, along those lines I was at um place was packed you couldn 't go anywhere you couldn 't move, so the date that I had at the time, and we were down in Miami. I said, you know what, we're not going anywhere. Just go ahead and hit another ball. You know, the team, the group behind us on the tee box could definitely see that there's somebody holding everybody up and there's somebody holding those people up. We weren't going anywhere. So, why not take a couple of hits? And and again, a beginner golfer, a gentleman that I was seeing. And so, we, I let him hit a second shot, which is always the worst, you know, because he was just trying to figure out what fairway woods were. He had been to the driving range, but. So I think I had some Barney Adams at the time, and it was back when they just came about. And the people behind us drove balls into us on the, gra- oh. on the golf course. And I think it's because they didn't see the people that were in front of us were kind of behind some trees on the tee box. They couldn't quite see it, but that was like maybe a couple of holes in. So I had to wait. Yeah. You know, I mean, I can't help it. I'm just an obstinate, you know, uh, stubborn person. So I had to go back and turn around, and because they, they had to come and wait on us at the next tea box, and there happened to be a ladies' room right there. So I came over with the magazine. I said, hi, I'm Terry Purdom with Golf Central Magazine. We're out here doing an article on golf etiquette. And I just wanted, can I get your name? Can I get a quick shot of you guys for the magazine? Cuz y'all just blew some balls into my partner. I had a I have a beginner golfer out here and I was just sharing with him what great people we have in this industry and how kind and and how everything is. So, you know, and it was, it was a woman. It was two women and a man, too. Yeah, you know, they took the magazine, they looked at me and they went, "Oh, there you are." I said, "Yep, right there. Dumb blonde can do it, right there." Look at it. It's kind of funny. Yeah.
1: It, you know, it, it's just interesting. Uh, you know, you get all types out out in the golf course, and and uh, again, it, it boils down to etiquette, uh, etiquette, and and uh, and just good manners. But, you know, it's a difficult game. You know, the guys that were on uh, the first part of the show. You know, we have a panel discussion. We talked about different things. And that was one of the things we talked about is 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 really, um, you know, making good use of your time and and out in the golf course. And and obviously, if you're someone that's new to the game and you're struggling a little bit, then then you need to prepare as best you can and you play, you know, ready golf. You don't get out there and and slow people around And if you're a more, you're a more accomplished player, um, you know, then when the time is appropriate, then you ask if you can play through. And, and um, you know, it it is, and I hate to use this term because it's been used for for decades, but it is a a gentleman's sport. And and basically what it's meant to in that term is that, you know, you're meant to act in, in a cordial way with one another when you're out there and And, um, you know, I think for the most part that does happen, but there are still some uh, folks out there that want to, um, you know, do battle, if you will. They think there's something uh, just in doing that. So let me, uh, as we get ready to to sort of come towards our our time, I want to get you to talk a little bit more about the magazine. So what are some of the things that you do to to build, uh, you know, when you're building your readers and and obviously I know you travel, as you mentioned a lot with the magazine, what are some things that you really try to hit home with, uh, with the magazine?
0: Always pulling on the heartstrings, you know, doing something for somebody who's less fortunate that's actually showing the rest of us what we can do with this game to raise money for their infliction. Like I said, anything for the military, always. And I do a ton of events where I'm out there with somebody who just came back from Afghanistan, and they have a prosthetic leg and a prosthetic arm, and they're out there trying to get their life back in order, you know, they, and, they, and golf is one of the best best ways to do it. So with that, the magazine plays some other kinds of politics that I you know I will say Playing politics like the Audubon Society, the Florida Historic Golf Society, anything for the South Florida, North Florida PGA or any PGA event. They have free pages in our publication all the time. Ooh, something that's kind of groovy that just happened uh, at a show in Chicago this past weekend. I had a gentleman at a golf show up there, and we just got a great partner in the Carolinas with Myrtle Beach and Pinehurst and the Mountains that's going to uh, do some golf packaging, and we're going to be able to give some packaging away. and build some more of our social media, you know, e-blasting, opt-in, and um, which is going to make it more viral and also educate some people about the packages that we like. Anything that I can do to help my advertisers excel, our readers have fun. You know, we, we started Cart Girl of the Month, Ted. Nobody said that was a good idea after I had already heard from 95 percent of the people that yeah no you got to do the car girl you know there's nothing like being thirsty and seeing the refreshment come around and and she happens to be you know pleasant to deal with at the same time so you know giving her right. a little feather in her cap has always been fun and we do we need nominations from your listeners we do the golf bachelor every month And, oh, Hmm. those are fun questions. Oh, that's a fun bit. Because it might be your food and beverage manager. It might be the assistant pro. It could be the merchandiser. Uh, It could be anybody. It could be someone who's a charity-driven member at the club that gives back all the time. And we just love him because he's the president of, you know, PNC Bank or whatever. And he's a bachelor, so we try to blow it up. And they can, by the way, your readers can suggest if they can go to Golf Central, com, which is our website or turflife.club and give us any suggestions comments or ideas but one of the things that we are trying to do of course is as everyone is is build our social so we're more giveaways but i'd like some interaction about nominating your favorite car girl nominating your favorite golf bachelor and now since last year, April, we've been doing the Golf Bachelorette, uh, sponsored by Nancy Lopez, and most of the ladies get something to wear, but it doesn't always have to be um, someone wearing Nancy Lopez. It could be, like I said, what makes a Golf Bachelorette, and the show, The Golf Bachelor, I mean, The the Bachelor has been so popular that I thought that was kind of cool that we started the Golf Bachelor before that show even came on television. Um, And some of our questions are kind of funny, like boxer briefs or commando, and they'll answer, which I always think is funny. I wouldn't wouldn't ask somebody that. But, you know, what's your fantasy foursome? Of course, Tiger's usually in there. Mr. Palmer's usually in there. Mr. Palmer, by the way, was my boyfriend. I don't know if you knew that. (laughs) No. (laughs) I I told him that every time I saw him. You know, he kind of got – he got annoyed about it one time at Bay Hill. But he I was so quick. I love the man. I wouldn't be in this industry had it not been for him early on. Because when I tell you about being green, I was clueless about all of it. And uh, the first time I met him, I, he, he was so nice to me, and he was so pleasant. And then I started saying, you know, every time I'd see him at Bay i go, you know, there's a rumor going around this party that you're my boyfriend. And without hesitation, Teddy he just comes right back and he goes, yeah, but you started it. Like that. You know, it was so quick. It was so funny. <laughs> and you know, I, and I would, you of, know his wife
1: knew too. Right. There's a lot of great stories out there about Arnold Palmer and, and oh my gosh. Um, he was just a wonderful man and um you know sad that he's no longer with us but um yeah he But we're he was gonna a, do a, a song.
0: A, I also wanna employ your readers to uh get on the bandwagon. I'm trying to get someone to help me produce a tribute song to Mr. Palmer. There's so many, good. I mean, you know, Tee It Up, he he had his own iced tea, the Umbrella, the Army, the Children's Hospital, everything that that man did and stood for. Why do we have lyrics in certain songs about Marilyn, which was one of my favorite people of all time, Marilyn Monroe, but we don't have a tribute song to Mr. Palmer? Just think of where it's going to be played. It'll be played at the Masters. It'll be played at Bay he will be played in every 19th hole, and we'll all be drinking and toasting to him. And I'm going to get behind yep. this. I'm going to make this happen. If I have to call Vince Gill myself,
1: <laughs> well, I think that good would be. For uh, it, right? uh, yeah, I think that would. Yeah, you're exactly right. I think that would be a worthy cause. I'm going to make I, it I happen. That, uh, I, I hope you do, and I, and I will. Uh, I will definitely support you on that one. Well, Terry, I want to thank you very much for for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. It's been an interesting conversation, and and I hope people. <laughs> a little bit a uh, better understanding of, of you and, and what you're um, really doing in, in the industry, not just, you know, publishing a magazine, but really, um, you know, pushing a, a movement forward and, and uh, an awareness forward of, of many of the, as you said, the men and women who really um, are not talked about as much. Uh, you know, many of the people that are behind the golf courses, not necessarily in the front of the golf courses. So, in uh, making them look so great and, and getting them prepared each and every day. So, thank you for, for doing that. And, and um, just very quickly, if you want to let the listeners know uh, on the program where they can, if they're interested in reaching out, first off, where they can get in touch uh, about the magazine, but also if uh, maybe some of the listeners, because uh, we go all over the place, um, that may be interested in, in even sponsoring in the magazine, um, how they can go about uh, best way to reach you.
0: Okay, our website, as I said, golfcentralmag.com. dot com. You can reach out to us on Facebook, Golf Central Magazine. Uh, you can call directly to the office three two one seven six five seven five five zero. Somebody will always pick up and try to help you get if if you're looking for donations for a tournament or advertising free for tournaments or whatever we can do. If you've got a cool feature story, we listen to everyone's ideas and le- and try to take on you know what. We think's best for and how we can help. Um, turflife.club Club is the website for the the TurfLife product, and you can go to TurfLife on uh, social media, and and you'll see us there. You'll see us on Instagram and qu- Twitter also. So um, anyway, that. Anybody has suggestions. There's no bad ideas. There's no bad suggestions. We listen to everybody. I don't always take their advice because uh, <laughs> I can be a little bit stubborn, but, but I want to help people. And we think we have really tried, and I can't tell you enough about my staff and everybody that's worked so hard to, to keep us around for 21 years, and especially through everything. And when I'm saying 9-11, the hurricanes, we're still here. We're still printing. We're not the weak and nope. lazy. We want to make sure that whatever message that people want, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, the Carolinas, uh, you know, Mississippi, within this southeastern region and, of course, Florida, which is where we're based and started, if there's a cool story out there or somebody that we need to give a you know, little heyday to, let us do that. Let us help them and we want to you know we want to help so and thank you for all your help and all you do for the industry and the pros I listened to some and you had Holly on there last week um from PGA yep. Port St. Lucie I got to hear that Yeah she's it,
1: Yeah she was great and you know and and this is what I try to do with with the shows here I mean I do this uh, show Thursday nights and then I do one Tuesday mornings with my good friend uh LPGA professional Cindy Miller and we Really, it's it's called the Women of Golf, and, and it's really designed to, to foster um, growth, particularly in the women's movement, if you will. And, and I think that, um, you know, we've done a good job over the year. This is going to be the season oh, seven yes. for that show. And and um, we're looking forward to beginning a new season with the Symmetra Tour. Um, as I talked about this past Tuesday um, on the show, we're, we're going to be interviewing all of the, the winners from the Symmetra Tour this season again. Um, so good we're really excited about that.
0: Way to go, so, way to
1: go. You know, it, it's like you said, it's getting um, you know that awareness out there in, in the media, and, and I try to do my part here with the shows and that. So, but Terry, thank you very, very much. Um, and again, it's uh, golfcentralmag.com for those of you that want to learn more about her uh, magazine publication, or you can go to turflife.club to also learn about that as well. But thank you very much, Terry. I appreciate you coming on. It's been a pleasure, and it's been a lot of laughs, and uh, <laughs> I hope you had a good time, and I- I look I forward did. to having you I come back. A
0: blast.
1: Yeah, and uh you're welcome to come back anytime and we'll uh we'll we'll keep the conversation going, but thank you very much for for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live.
0: Okay. I'll see everybody at Bay Hill this weekend too. Don't hesitate to come up and say hi. And uh you guys have a groovy weekend.
1: All right. Thank you, Terry. All right. Have a good Bye. one.
0: Bye-bye. Thank you.
1: All right. That was uh Terry Purdom, the publisher of Golf Central Magazine and also the uh, president and founder of Turf Life, uh, and again, that website is turflife.club, uh, and you can also go to golfcentralmag.com uh, to learn more about that magazine. Uh, again, a special thanks to the the gang on the Coaches Corner panel tonight, uh, Paul Castor, Tim Kramer, and Bill Abrams. Thanks, guys, for uh, always, uh, as I said, bringing your best uh, to the panel discussion. I'm really, really excited about this season, and uh, next uh, week uh, will be Uh, Another great uh, panel on the show, so I hope you'll tune in for that as we continue uh, to a full broadcast uh, season now, uh, two-hour shows: So Coach's Corner in the first hour and then another special guest next uh, Thursday evening to follow. So I hope you join me on behalf of uh, all of the guests tonight and uh, all of the uh, folks that help uh, put these great shows together. Thank you very much. God bless, and particularly to you, the listeners, uh, thanks for tuning in each and every week. God bless, and I will see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast at Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at BlogTalkRadio.com/slash Golf Talk Live. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts, or listen on any of the following social media platforms: iTunes, Stitcher. Tune in, Castbox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.